All right. Uh, welcome tonight to Plum Creek Chapel. And want to remind our online viewers, if you're ever in the Denver metro area, boy, come by and see us on Sundays or Wednesdays. We'd love to have you worship with us. Uh, and uh, But tonight we're going to continue our look at uh, how to read and understand the Bible. This is our 19th session on that topic. And I'm going to st uh, introduce a new topic that we'll spend... Uh, a little bit of time on. I don't know how, how many weeks. It kind of depends on how the discussion goes, but it's something I've been talking about and wanting to, looking forward to talk, to getting into, and that's how to study Proverbs. And so we're going to kind of continuing down our road of biblical genre and the different types of literature in Scripture. We're going to focus on uh, Proverbs starting tonight, and uh, feel free to chime in, ask questions, and that kind of stuff. But I've always loved Proverbs. It's it's really a, a, a fascinating book. It's meant a lot to me. It's easy to apply, easy to digest, and uh, so hopefully it'll be helpful for you. But before we get in, let's mention a couple of quick announcements on, can you remember what day? Now, Monday, uh, we did an interview with uh, Steel on Steel and John Loeffler. That's posted at the Not By Works website. encourage you to check that out. I think it's 26 minutes or so. Um, and that was fun. I've known John for many years, but hadn't connected with him in over 10 years and um, never been on his show. Uh, but uh, it was nice to reconnect and had a good discussion with him. Our regular Tuesday podcast on Christian Underground News Network with uh, Curtis Chamberlain. Uh, yesterday, we talked about Luciferians, deception, and the Hegelian dialectic. And he wants to dive into that more next week, the Hegelian dialectic part. So we're going to next week uh, on Tuesday give you a lot of uh, examples of that and kind of explain that in more detail. So if you don't yet have the book, it's on the back table. Feel free to pick one up, and uh, that's our uh, gift to you. And then those of you watching online, you can go to spiritoftheantichrist.org. Again, spiritoftheantichrist.org, and you can pick one up uh, there. All right, well, um, we are basically in the midst of a study on uh, how to read and understand the Bible. We're recognizing how important it is to correctly handle uh, the Word of God, 2 Timothy 2.15, and recognizing that there's a lot more to it than simply randomly picking up your Bible, opening it to a certain page, and then, uh, you know, making it mean whatever you want it to mean. Um, language is language, and there's nothing mystical about the Bible and the language it's written in. Originally, of course, uh, it was written in uh, Greek and Hebrew and Aramaic, um, and then it's been translated into many languages, and for our purposes, it's uh, translated into English. So there are multiple English translations. I use the New King James, uh, but there are some good translations out there. But when the Bible was written in its original languages, it made use of the normal, natural rules of language. Uh, there are certain linguistic rules that transcend different uh, languages. Uh, you know, nouns and verbs and subjects and, and rules of communication. Uh, and so we talked a lot about that at the beginning of this series, things like context, um, how to you know, look for things that are emphasized, repeated, how to not make a minor clause or passing comment in a particular verse out to be the main thing. We, we talked a lot about that. But uh, the reason this is important is because as we've uh, said, although it's been a few weeks since I reminded you of it, the Bible is God's way of saying, here I am, look at me. It's God's self-unveiling to mankind. So God, the creator of the universe, spoke the world into existence. He created mankind in his image, the highest pinnacle of creation. Of course, a mankind fell at, when we sinned, uh, separating us from a holy God. God provided redemption uh, through his eternal son who took on human flesh, paid our penalty at the cross, rose again, and then offers freely to all this uh, forgiveness and life that he purchased uh, when he paid our penalty, purchased it with his own blood. So that's the, the meta-narrative of Scripture, the grand story from Genesis to Revelation. But it's somewhere along the historical timeline from man's perspective, God chose to unveil more about himself than just what we could see through nature. Um, uh, the Bible tells us that God has indeed revealed himself through nature. Uh, we can look at uh, the clouds and the trees and the mountains and all kinds of things and recognize there has to be a creator. These things just didn't accidentally happen. Uh, we also know that God exists through conscience. Uh, Romans 2 talks about that. Uh, 
We know that God exists uh, through providence. Um, you know, the fact that uh, here in Colorado, depending on where in the mountains you live in Colorado, you're going to be dealing with snow from everywhere from September, where we used to live, all the way to June, frankly, in some places. Our, for four years up in the mountains, our first snow was always, you know, around September 15th, and our last snow was around June 15th. The only two months we didn't get any snow was July and August. Um, but we could count on that. That's providence. You know, you can count on the changing seasons. You can count on the fact that it's going to be hotter in the summer and those kinds of things. So, but somewhere along the way, God said, I want to unveil more specifically who I am to my creation. And so he began unveiling himself through the written word. And he did that uh, starting with Moses during the Exodus, which was around 14. 06 is when they left Egypt, B.C., so 1,400 years before Christ was born, roughly. And then for the next 40 years, of course, they wandered in the wilderness. And, you know, we read about that. What we need to understand is that what we're reading about in Exodus, God, Moses was actually writing about during that time. So God, God inspired Moses to write the first five books of the Bible. And it was his way of explaining more about himself and our relationship to him and, and this, the ultimate plan. So it starts with the beginnings, Genesis, with creation, the fall, and then, and then it goes forward from there. And then so starting at that time for the next 1,500 years, uh, God uh, revealed himself through the written word. The whole Old Testament was written over a period of 1,000 years again, from roughly the 1400 B.C. to 400 B.C., the time of Malachi, the last book of the Old Testament. And then we had 400 or so silent years, they call them, where God didn't reveal anything in the written word. Then Jesus Christ, God's eternal Son, burst on the scene, which the writer of Hebrews tells us is the greatest manifestation of God's glory. It's the greatest way in which God has revealed himself to mankind, uh, the express image of God's glory. And then, uh, and then after uh, Christ's life and ministry, his crucifixion and resurrection, and then the birthday of the church in 33 AD in Acts chapter 2, during the church age, the age in which we currently live, God began to unveil more about himself. And we call that the New Testament. And so for another 50 years or so, um, from roughly 44 AD to 95 AD, God revealed the New Testament through the pen of human authors. So we have a, a time span of roughly 1,500 years, counting the 400 silent years, 40 different authors, three different languages, and God unveiling himself, basically saying, here I am, look at me. And today, ever since the canon has been closed, and that, by that we mean, uh, canon just means standard or measuring rod, and it was uh, God's divinely established standard for what is his word and what isn't. Um, lots of other writings going on during that time, but only the Bible was inspired. And once God closed up his special revelation through the written word, this has then become our only standard for beliefs, attitudes, and practices. And um, what we're going to talk about tonight is one particular book in this Bible, in this God's word, um, and that book is going to explain how we can learn a lot from uh, worldly wisdom, earthly wisdom, life's wisdom, but nothing is on par with the infallible and errant Word of God. And so that being the case, it's, it's vital that we as God's people know how to handle it. And sadly, uh, many people today uh, have no regard for the Bible or they completely mishandle it. They might be genuine and sincere, but they don't really know the kinds of things we've been studying here for 19 weeks. And consequently, they arrive at bad conclusions, uh, in some cases dangerous conclusions, uh, false conclusions. And so if this is our guidepost, if it really is our lamp to our feet and a light to our path, we would be well served to correctly handle it and know how to handle it. So that's what we want to look at um, tonight, and I want to start out by uh, just introducing uh, the book of Proverbs, and I've got quite a bit of material here. Like I said, I've 
studied this for a lot, many years, and it's a really uh, one of those books I'm fascinated by. So we won't get through all of it, to, certainly not tonight. But feel free as we go along to make comments, ask questions. Um, by the way, we do have Bibles at the back. If anyone would like to have a print Bible, I know we live in a digital age and we have you know, the verses on the screens. And for those watching online, of course, you're watching the verses pop up. And even a lot of people you know, these days, even if they are in the room, are using a digital uh, Bible, which is fine. Nothing wrong with that. But if you'd like a print Bible, we've got them. So feel free to pick one up. We got those uh, for you. And we'd love for you to take one of those courtesy of Plum Creek Chapel. Um, and by the way, if anybody's listening online, because, you know, we get people that stumble upon our uh, podcasts and videos all the time on the different outlets, Rumble and whatnot. If you need a Bible, shoot me an email. We'll send you one. We want you to have a Bible. Okay, it's the, it's the Word of God and it's our, our pathway, you know, our, our guidepost for life. So uh, some quotes here that I picked up along the the way, this from Cervantes, he said, a proverb is a short sentence based on long experience. When you read the proverbs, many of them uh, deal with just everyday occurrences. A lot of them are more philosophical about general wisdom statements, as we're going to see, but a lot of them are just, you know, make sense when you read them because they, you know, we've all been there. We've, we've uh, lived that. One of my friends that I've known for, how long have I known Ted? 40, no wait, 32 years now. Uh, he put it this way, a proverb is a swift arrow that gets a point across. Now I've always found that clever, but you'd have to know Ted because he, he's kind of one of those that, that has clever sayings like that. But that's just another way to think of it. Uh, Bullock, a great scholar, Old Testament scholar, said a proverb is truth tested by time. Proverbs truth tested by time. Well, let's look at the biblical book of Proverbs. It contains 900 plus short, pithy sayings. So if you remember when we talked about genre, we, we defined a pr Proverbs as a type of literature that has these wisdom sayings, short, pithy sayings. Um, it's different from a lot of other books of the Bible. And if you look at it in your English translations, you can tell that because just each verse is like a couplet. It has two lines, pretty much, uh, or two parts to the sentence. Sometimes it's three lines. Depends how big your Bible is. But um, that's different from, say, the book of Ephesians, if you look at that, or you know, uh, the book of uh, Acts, which we've been studying on Sunday mornings. Um, what's another interesting thing about Proverbs is that even though it was written in the midst of the nation of Israel's existence. In fact, Solomon wrote many of the Proverbs, and he was the king of Israel. Uh, you see no reference in the book of Proverbs to Israel's history, to the covenants, to the laws, to the sacrificial system. That's unique. That's highly unique among Old Testament uh, literature. Um, there are many authors, including uh, Solomon, Agur, Lemuel, uh, 375 sayings uh, of Solomon are found in Proverbs 10 to 22. Now, in a minute, when we talk about the specific parts of Proverbs and who wrote what, I'm of the opinion that Solomon also wrote the first nine chapters. Uh, and, you know, having studied this for many years, I think the best scholarship, you know, bears that out. But kind of like the author of Hebrews, we can't be dogmatic, right? We don't know for sure if Solomon wrote the first nine. Uh, it's, it's an open question, but I think most conservative scholars would come down on the side that, that Solomon did write the first nine chapters, which would mean then that he wrote chapter one all the way to the midway through chapter 22. Okay. Um, but notice what we read in 1 Kings. God gave Solomon wisdom and exceedingly great understanding and largeness of heart like the sand on the seashore. Thus Solomon's wisdom excelled the wisdom of all the men of the east and all the wisdom of Egypt. He spoke 3,000 proverbs, and his songs were 1,005. So that's just a little glimpse into the life of Solomon. Uh, he's often known as the wisest person, you know, who ever lived. Um, uh, when I met uh, Jason's friend Solomon, 
By the way, does he go by Saul? Yes. Okay, I, I had the hardest time when I was introduced to him. I couldn't hear. We were outside. The wind was blowing. I'm half deaf anyway. And I, I finally, they finally said Solomon. And I, after saying Saul, and I couldn't, was it Paul or, you know, Raul? I couldn't hear what he was saying. But anyway, so anyway, Solomon, when I met him, I finally figured out that's what his name was. I said, are you as smart as Solomon? And he said, well, I don't know about that, you know. So Solomon has uh, kind of become a metaphor or an example of great wisdom. So the question then, just as a side note that I uh, thought of, was if Solomon was so wise, why did he die such a fool? You ever thought about that? I know. Okay. Too many wives. <laughs> Suzanne, did you hear that if you're watching at home? I'll make sure and send her a link just for you. No, it wasn't because he had too many wives. What, anybody think, you know, can you think of an answer? Yeah. He disobeyed God. Yeah, I mean, ultimately, that's right. He disobeyed God. In fact, in his own writings, we see him saying, one of his proverbs, Cease listening to instruction, my son, and you will stray from the words of knowledge. So you get out of the word of t in today's culture. Of course, back then, this was still while the Bible was being written, so God had other direct avenues of communicating His truth to people through prophets and through all kinds of unique uh, ways of special revelation. Today, it, that's all contained in here. Uh, so today, to stop listening to instruction would mean to get out of the Word of God. And I don't know about you, but as I take a survey of my life and my spiritual journey, the times when I am most out of God's will and most, uh, you know, let's say disobedient or just not really behaving well, let's say, if I catch myself kind of in one of those little seasons of life, every time when I look back over the previous few days, I recognize, you know what, I really haven't been in the Word. <laughs> And you look at backslidden believers and believers that are shipwrecked on the uh, sidelines of life, every one of them, they're not in the Word. They're not in the Word. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it ultimately pride is behind all sin. That's right, Sally. And, you know, pride basically leads them to think, I can go it alone. I don't need advice. I don't need the Word of God. I've got this, right? But whatever it is that's causing us to neglect instruction, like Solomon's uh, wisdom says here in, in Proverbs 19.27, it doesn't end well. When you stop listening to instruction, you stray from the words of knowledge. And I think that's exactly uh, what happened in Solomon's day. Um, Bruce Waltke was a great uh, uh, scholar, and I love this quote. He said, Spiritual successes today are no guarantee of piety and morality tomorrow. Disciples must attend constantly to their spiritual lives. See, there's no resting on your spiritual laurels. You don't get to a certain level and just arrive. And, you know, history, recent church history, is filled with examples of men and women of God who at one point were highly esteemed, extremely influential, championing the truth of God's Word, and yet suddenly you hear of them falling, moral failures, whatever it might be. And, you know, that's a something that every one of us is susceptible to. And, you know, we I've come across it being in academia for a number of years, you know, you, 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 you see a lot of things kind of behind the scenes, and... Um, and, you know, my wife and I have talked a lot about it. If, if I, you know, as I get old, and I'm a long way from that. Long, I mean, I'd this is so far in the future, it's hard to even imagine because I'm just so young. But someday, if the Lord tarries is coming, I'll get old, right? By the way, I'm turned 54 today, just so you know. Happy birthday to you. No. Happy birthday to you. There you go. Thank you. The, the, the sad thing is the people online are all they're hearing in the background is just whoa, 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 whoa. anyway, they just sang happy birthday to me. So, uh, but uh, by the way, I'm still not, I'm still on the uphill side of the fifties. So I'm not on, I'm not even mid fifties yet. I don't think, but anyway, 
I've talked, Wendy and I've talked about it. if I, when I get really old, um, if I start just going off, you know, my rocker, man, shoot me or pull me aside or take me out of the game or something, you know, because I don't, I don't want to ever lose my mind or my moral compass to the point where I'm leading people astray. But it just seems to happen. I don't know. It just seems to happen way more than it should. And, you know, I, I knew one guy in academia, this is an, totally anecdotal, and I'm certainly not painting with a broad brush, but uh, this is a guy who uh, I worked with for 12 years in some capacity or another, and or maybe not quite that long because that was my tenure and he, he quit before that. But, uh, you know, in my role as a director of baccalaureate programs at the college, you know, I was kind of overseeing the bookstore, and so every semester the professors would turn in their notes and they would be copied. This is before digital stuff, and they would be copied, and the students would buy the note packets for each each class. And this particular professor had been teaching systematic theology there for 28 years. And I happened to be talking to someone in the bookstore and saying, hey, has everyone turned in their notes? And they said, uh, well, everybody but Dr. So-and-so, but he always just has us use the same ones he's used for the last 10 years. And I thought, what? I mean, you mean to tell me nothing new has come up or no new creative insights into Scripture, no new way of presenting or thinking? Thing. And basically, he was just phoning it in year after year with same notes, same lectures, you know. If someone recorded it, they could have just skipped every class and gotten a recording from someone who was in the last semester's class, you know, class last semester. And then, not surprisingly then, uh, that guy ended up having a major moral failure and was... Uh, discredited and lost his church and his job at the school and his radio show that he had at the time. And I think there's a connection. I mean, when you're not really studying the Word of God um, in depth, you know, you're, you're, you're going to be in danger of atrophy spiritually. And uh, it, we've got to constantly be on guard. So every day we need to be in the Word of God. And you know, as I said, I'm certainly no example. I've had plenty of times when you know, the busyness of life and you just, you find yourself neglecting the spiritual disciplines and it never goes well. But I can tell you that I do make an effort every time I speak. It doesn't matter if it's a message I've spoken before or on a topic, especially when I'm doing conferences. I make a point to go through it point by point, add things, think through it again, correct things. Often I'll find mistakes and correct it and just make it fresh because I want to stay in, in, the, in the Word. So again, it, uh, many authors, um, and then there are three things that really jump off the page at me when you think about Proverbs that make it timeless. In other words, it's as relevant today as it was a thousand years before Christ when Solomon lived. And the first thing is, it's, it's simple. These are not complex things to get your hands around. So for example, if you think of Proverbs chapter 6, Go to the ant, you sluggard, consider her ways and be wise, which having no captain, overseer, or ruler, provides her supplies in the summer and gathers her food in the harvest. Now, that's a pretty simple picture to get in your mind. And I've kind of given you a, a picture there, but, you know, uh, this is something that ants do instinctively, and, and we should, you know, not be lazy uh, as well. But they're also profound. I mean, many Proverbs are, are you know, you, you read them and you go, wow. I mean, that makes a lot of sense. It's not, it's not something that, you know, is, uh, you know, uh, hard to figure out or something that, you know, only these really insightful people could have pointed out. You, you read it and you go, why didn't I think of that, basically? Um, but they're, they're very just straight to the point and profound. Uh, and yet... It takes a lifetime to learn them and apply them consistently, which is why I think it's such a great idea to read Proverbs again and again and again. A lot of people have a Bible reading plan, since there are 31 chapters of Proverbs, that involves reading the corresponding chapter of Proverbs for that day of each month. So on the first of the month, you read Proverbs 1. The second day of the month, you read Proverbs 2. And over the year, you're going to read every chapter of Proverbs 12 times. You know, Well, not every because some months don't have 31 days, but you know you're going to get cover a lot of ground. Um, and and uh, in their book, um, 
talk through the Bible, Wilkinson and Boa put it this way, reading a Proverbs, reading a proverb takes only a few seconds. Applying a proverb takes a lifetime. <laughs> I mean, you know, I, as old as I'm getting, the more I read Proverbs now, what I find happening a lot is I'll read a proverb and it'll apply to some mistake I just made, typically about words or something, and I'll go, oh yeah, I forgot that was in there. I wish I'd have remembered that before I did such and such, you know. And so that's why you got to keep it fresh. You got to got to stay in uh, Proverbs. So they're simple, they're profound, but they're also memorable. Um, I mean, some of the word pictures in here should really stick with you, like this one, for example. I mean, <laughs> if you saw this, that would be a pretty memorable sight, right? Or this, you know. I mean, who's going to forget that, right? Well, where does that come from? Proverbs eleven thirty two: As a ring of gold in a swine's snout, so is a lovely woman who lacks discretion. Now that's a that's a pretty a funny way to say it. Now, by the way, Proverbs has a lot of uh, bones to pick with men and women. This is not you know I'm not this is not a, a chauvinistic thing here. It's just a funny, memorable word picture that uh, that came to my mind. Um, so Proverbs are to be read slowly, you know, savoring them in, in small chunks. They're kind of like hard candy, you know. You wouldn't grab a handful of candy like this and throw it. I mean, kids probably would because, first of all, their teeth are in a lot better shape than mine. But anyway, they would take, you, know, you wouldn't take a whole handful and just start chomping away at it. I mean, this kind of hard candy is made to, you take one and, and you savor it for a while. And, and it takes a while to kind of digest, right? Um, so that's the way Proverbs are. They, they're, they're to be read slowly and savored in, in, in small chunks. And, you know, what I try to do when I read a chapter of Proverbs a day is pick one, sometimes two verses uh, that, and often it's the same verse every time I come to that chapter because apparently I'm a slow learner, but pick one in that particular chapter for that day that just resonates with me and, and memorizes. It's not hard to do. It's one sentence. And then just think about it all throughout uh, the day. Um, so you want to you wanna savor them, savor each proverb slowly. So the goal of reading Proverbs is to master daily life through the practice of wisdom. So, by the way, um, I see a lot of people taking notes. That's great. If you'll remind me when we're done with this series or maybe even by next week because I've still got a few more things that I want to add to it but when I'm done I'll be happy to print out all of the slides about Proverbs six to a page so you can have that in print I'm not much of a print guy as you know but I think there's a lot of good you know stuff here especially when we get into the nuts and bolts of Proverbs that you might want to have uh, in your file so just someone remind me and maybe next week I, if I finish you know preparing it I can go ahead and print it out for you um, so the goal of reading Proverbs is to master daily life through the practice of wisdom. And, and by the way, I always want to remember the people that are watching the videos. If you email me, I'll email you the PDF of these slides as well. Uh, but wisdom in Proverbs is not intellectual knowledge. There's a difference between knowledge and wisdom. Wisdom is what you do with knowledge, Right? So wisdom is not intellectual knowledge. In Proverbs, wisdom is the fear of God and the corresponding action that comes from that fear of God. Um, so really, as we're going to, um, and we'll get into this in a little more detail here in a second, but as you read Proverbs, it's essentially just one chapter after another of building up within you a fear of God. I'm going to define what that is here in just a minute, but you know, what God wants us to do is to draw from two wells of wisdom, if you will. Obviously, the first one is God's Word, but also the natural world and life experience. And the Holy Spirit can give us insight from both realms. Uh, we've talked about this before. In, uh, in my chart book, I have a chart on knowing and doing the will of God. And I talk about the empirical side and the subjective side. But the, the idea here is life can be a great teacher. Proverbs 15, 31 even says that. It says, The ears that hear the rebuke of the rebukes of life will abide among the wise. So, I mean, that's not suggesting that 
subjective experience in and of itself is infallible and is on par with God's Word. But to the extent that God, God's Word tells us to learn from our experience and run it through the grid of Scripture, we can do that. I mean, you know, you learn not to touch a hot stove. You know, you learn behavior based on natural consequences, right? Um, there's so many examples we could give of that. And, you know, the Holy Spirit will convict and lead and guide in our lives. And there are plenty of times when you might be contemplating a particular decision or uh, thinking about doing something and the Spirit of God brings to remembrance something that happened and you go, oh yeah, well, I better not do that. Last time it didn't work out so well, right? Or, um, you know, in, other, in some cases, learning from other people. You know, you can say, I, I'm thinking about doing such and such but, um, you know, I remember so-and-so telling me a story about when they did that and it didn't work out too well, so I, I, maybe I'm going to not do it. Uh, someone said um, that uh, the, the, a person who learns from his own mistakes is wise, wiser still is one who learns from the mistakes of others, right? Then you don't have to go through it, right? Um, if only our teenagers would figure that out, you know, make parenting a whole lot easier, but... Anyway, um, so let's take a closer look uh, at Proverbs and get into uh, some of the nuts and bolts of it. Here's another quote that I came across this afternoon. This is from uh, Collins's commentary on Proverbs and Ecclesiastes. I-, I love this. He says, to read straight through a few chapters of Proverbs is like trying to have a conversation with someone who always replies with a one-liner. And that's kind of how you feel. It's like you're trying to, it's not like reading a historical narrative or even an epistle or anything. It's just one standalone, you know, like driving a nail into a stud. Okay, got that one. Let's get another. And each one of them makes a connection. It makes a hit. And, and very few of them miss, you know. Um, when I'm driving nails through sheetrock, I always miss the stud. And so uh, when I go to hang something on a sheetrock wall, I always bring my drill, my anchors, and then my wall putty to fill in all the holes that I missed the stud after I drove the uh, drill into it. But uh, it's, it's like, you know, having, talking to someone who always replies in a one-liner. In essence, Proverbs is a book of practical guidance for life. That's the simplest way I know how to say it. It gives us general ris- wisdom sayings that help us navigate life successfully. And... You know, the more you read it and store them up in your heart, you know, um, as, as Psalm 119 says, Thy word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Then the more readily available they're going to be when you come across various life experiences and life circumstances, right? Um, it's kind of like when you, you know, when you go to the grocery store and you come home with all those bags full of groceries first thing you do is you put them up in the cupboard, right? You know where the canned tomatoes go or the soup. You know where the sugar and flour go. You put the bread over here. You put the meat in the refrigerator and the eggs and the milk on this shelf. And you, everything goes where it goes. Why? Because when you get ready to cook something, you know right where to go to get it. And the same thing is true of God's Word and, and especially Proverbs. Is you know As you store them up in your heart, then when you face... Uh, life experiences, the Spirit of God will bring that to your remembrance, right? And then you'll go, oh yeah, I, I, I remember that. And it's directly uh, applicable. Uh, Earl Rodmacher was uh, a friend and colleague of mine. He's with the Lord now. He actually wrote the foreword to my first ever book uh, in 2007. How many ever years ago that is? 15 years ago, I guess. And um, he said this. He's the editor of the Nelson Study Bible. What used, to be, what used to be called the Nelson Study Bible is now called the New King James Version Study Bible. Great man of God, solid on the gospel, great traditional dispensational, pre-tribulational scholar and a good friend. And he said, everyone knows the value of good advice. Listening to those who are wiser than we are gives us the benefit of their hard-won experience. Growing up, getting along with others, holding a job, all would be impossible without guidance from folks who have been there before. 
the book of Proverbs gives that kind of help. And it gives that kind of help not only just like a human friend would, but with the added benefit that it's the infallible, inspired Word of God coming directly from God's Word. So any questions or thoughts about anything we've said so far about Proverbs or further comments you'd like to add? Anybody uh, have an example of how Proverbs has really been a, a benefit in your life? Yeah. Well, I think it was Gary that said uh, you had a slide up there that Solomon was wisdom and he died a fool yeah. because of his many wives and <laughs> concubines. First uh, Kings 11 goes right into that and and states because as and it, as you said, getting older, it says as Solomon aged, he went away from the Lord and built altars and things for his wives and yeah and god said i'm going to tear your the kingdom away from you yeah absolutely he he was in he had he was influenced badly by other people namely his wives but that's true of all of us right you know paul said in corinthians i think it's first corinthians well not quite <laughs> yeah not quite all of us well, I didn't mean wives. <laughs> I meant all of us no, sometimes get bad advice. For the record. For the record. Um, but uh, I think it's, I, I can't remember where exactly. I want to say First Corinthians 15, but Paul says bad company corrupts good morals, right? And uh, so this is a fundamental principle, by the way, of Scripture, not to digress too far, but it, it goes right hand in hand with what you just cited from First Kings 11 about Solomon and about you know, what Solomon himself said in that uh, proverb in chapter 19, about when we neglect the Word of God, it's going to, you know, lead to problems. But the Bible has a recurring theme going all the way from the Old Testament to the New Testament about separation and about the uniqueness and holiness of God's people. And God wants us, whether that's Israel or back in the day or the church today, to be a light and an example of himself to others he does not want us to to end up uh, running around with these others and letting them drag us down so for example when the children of israel crossed the jordan into the promised land they were to set up camp and remain distinct from all of those pagan cultures and false gods around them we know that what happened they didn't do that they ended up intermarrying adopting pagan cultures and it was just it was a disaster uh, but the scripture is, is clear that you never end up like the people you don't hang around. Okay, let me say that again. You never end up like the people you don't hang around. So the, the, the false notion that we sometimes hear today from, I think, uh, unwise uh, Christian leaders and teachers, uh, as well as just the general humanistic approach, is that, oh, we've got to go out and become like the world and be one of the world and be part of the public secular system, you know, uh, so that we can be salt and light. No, no, we, we're supposed to be salt and light, that's for sure, but not by intermingling and becoming like them. We're supposed to be so on fire for the Lord and so blessed and experiencing the goodness of the Lord and the great fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, those kinds of things emanating from us, that the lost world and pagan world will be drawn to us. And that's when we then uh, share uh, Christ with them and, and other things. And so I've got some uh, articles that I've written, one in particular, a pretty lengthy article about the doctrine of separation that traces it from Scripture and gives you some biblical principles. If anybody would like that, just let me know. I'll send it to you. But uh, this notion that um, it's okay for us to have as our closest friends and confidants unbelievers flies directly in the face of the book of Proverbs. So we should be friendly with everyone. Obviously, we want to be loving and friendly and kind and gracious. You've heard me talk a lot about that. But if, if your closest friends, the ones with, you, with which you share your most intimate uh, thoughts and ideas and get advice from, are unbelievers, that is a bad idea. Because that Proverbs makes a clear distinction, as we're going to see, between worldly wisdom that does not take God into account and God's wisdom. And an unbeliever who does not have the Holy Spirit indwelling within them cannot give godly wisdom. So, it's, yeah. So what would you say to, about separation from woke 
Well, that's a good question. The question is, what would you say about separation from woke believers? Well, so in my last little rant, was that a rant or is that just a digression? Let's call it. A, let's be gracious and call it a digression. Um, I was really thinking of believers and unbelievers. There's a, in my article, I talk a lot about within the church and with other believers when it's appropriate to separate. And the God, God's Word gives us regulating principles on that. So to answer your question, you know, there are plenty of believers out there, we would call them apostate, that, that's the biblical term for them, who may be believers, they may be going to heaven when they die, but they are about as far from the biblical worldview as they can get. And that's where I would classify woke believers. They, they're just adopting to the extreme the pagan worldview of, of LGBTQ and socialism and all of these other gender issues. And so I would absolutely not uh, be not consider someone like that to be a close friend. I, I think that violates the biblical principle of separation. Um, now, you can be friendly with them. You can be acquaintances with them. And by the way, we also need to separate the, the notion of friendship, which friendship is a biblical concept, and the Word of God talks about that, and even says Abraham, for example, was a friend of God. So like all concepts, we need to interpret them and define them according to Scripture. And I promise you, the world's view of friendship is completely different from God's view of friendship. I'm talking about God's view of friendship. And in God's Word, a friend is someone that you have common ground with in, in your overall worldview. You worship the same God, you look to the same standard of authority, and, and therefore, even though you might not agree on everything, you have the same starting point for wisdom, which is God's Word. Um, unfortunately, most people define friendship based on people you enjoy being around, people you've known for years, people you grew up with, people that you, know, you take vacations with, and you just like them, and you laugh together, and you've shared experiences together. That's not friendship, at least not according to the Bible. Uh, friendship, to be a friend, you've got to have the same basic worldview. So a, a, both a unbeliever, clearly, does not fall in that category, and a believer who's away from the Word of God and not standing firm on the truth of God's Word would fall into that category. But when it comes to uh, certain tasks, you know, in the world system, there are certain people who have been trained, equipped, or are skilled at doing certain things. So that's not friendship. If I, if, I, if, uh, if I need heart surgery, Wendy's going to find the best heart surgeon she can afford uh, to do my heart surgery, and it's not going to matter whether that person's a Christian or not. If you need a new roof put on, you're not really concerned at that point other than for their own soul and the natural evangelistic passion, but you just want the job done right. You know, if your house is on fire, you don't call 911 and say, get me the closest born-again firefighter. Right? You just say, come put the fire out. And hopefully it's a trained group that's doing it. So God in the world system has trained and equipped certain people with certain skills. And that's fine. It's okay to, you know, to use those people. You know. But if you're going to then become best friends with them and count, get counsel from them and get advice from them and share intimate you know, experiences with them, that's not biblical. It's got to be a believer. Be not unequally yoked. Right? Any thoughts about that? Am I? Am I? Uh, anybody disagree with that, or want to kind of expand on it a little bit, or or come at it from a different perspective? Yeah. So the question is, you know, you got a person that you've been uh, discipling and, 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 and close to who's a believer for many years, but then they get away from the Lord and they're drifting away from the Lord. You know, how do you handle that? So actually the Bible addresses all of the degrees of this. And I'm not suggesting when I say that the doctrine of separation means you can't be friends with an unbeliever, that that means you shun them, right? 
there is a regulatory principle in Scripture for when you should shun, right? You know, uh, have no contact with is one of the phrases in Scripture. Uh, uh, Romans 16, I think it is, says, Mark those who cause division contrary to the doctrine that I've taught you and avoid them. Okay, that, that's talking about physical separation. And I get into all of this in that article. But you can, you can still be an acquaintance with and even spend time with a person in the example that, that you're giving me, again, not knowing all the details, but uh, I don't think it would be a violation of biblical principle to spend time with that person for the purpose of trying to encourage them, pray for them, bring them back in to some extent, because you, you understand that there's a line there. You're not going to consider them a close confidant and a close, you know, if you think of circles of friendship, the inner circle ought to be people that are believers, that are walking with the Lord, that understand the Word of God, are true to the Word of God, and give you good counsel. There might be another layer that are believers that are maybe not really walking with the Lord right now, uh, and you enjoy being around them. It's fine if you want to, you know, play uh, cards from time to time or go to a you know event together and that kind of thing but you know whether you ever express it to them or not you know that they're not where you are and you're not going to trust their counsel on philosophical matters like proverbs talks about now you might call them up and if they're a plumber and say hey man i can't get these two pipes to fit together can you help me out because again that's dealing with technical skill that person might have knowledge of and you're not violating scripture by asking them to help you, right? You're not, it's not an advice situation. But uh, then there's another whole circle of friends eventually in the, in the extreme that are an offense to the Lord. They're, they're not uh, walking with the Lord. They're stumbling. And in certain cases, under certain uh, parameters, the Lord says, have nothing to do with them. Just have nothing to do with them. It's not helpful for you or for them. And leave them in the Lord's hands. So these are all biblical principles and you know proverbs talks about this in fact at the end we won't get there tonight but i'm going to talk about different themes in proverbs one of them is relationships and it says for example um, have no fellowship with an angry man or you know he who walks with fools will be you know destroyed and a companion of fools is and it talks about those types of things so um so th- what we're talking about here at the macro level is biblical principles and then applying them to real-life situations. And some situations are sticky and complex, and it's, there are a lot of variables. And so there's no easy answer sometimes. But if you just keep in mind the, the biblical principle that the kind of advice God wants us to get has to be coming from people that are rooted in the Word of God. And if you've got friends that are unsaved, or that are carnal Christians, I wouldn't consider them your closest confidants. Yeah. What if they're looking for your advice because they see you as, let's say, a Christian or yeah, what, possessing some level of wisdom? What, the question is, what if they're looking for your advice? That's exactly the scenario you hope for. That's what you want, is you want to be there to help give them godly counsel that hopefully they'll take to heart. So, um, you know, I, I think there's definitely a place for that, and, and frankly, that's most of the time there's that's what you hope for. The extreme examples are people that are completely apostate. They, you know, the Hebrews six kind of person. That, that, that's where the word apostasy comes from, falling away um, in that context spiritually. Um, and, it, and that, you know, it says, you know, there's nothing you can do to bring them back, Hebrews, or Hebrews 6. It says, God willing, they'll come back around, but God's going to have to do it. At some point, they've passed the point of no return. If you remember in our series through Hebrews a couple years ago, I, I think that was the title of that message, Past the Point of No Return, Hebrews 6. Um, so in those cases, I mean, even still, frankly, if they come to you in sincerity and genuineness, and that may be the Lord working on them, doing just what He says, drawing them back to Him, and He may, they may bring them to you, he may bring them to you, and then you have an opportunity to say, to, to help uh, foster that repentance. You know, so, any other thoughts or comments? Okay, so let's uh, let's get into the nuts and bolts, and we'll have just a little bit of time to introduce this. The title of this book in the Hebrew Bible is 
and you get this from verse 1, the Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel. Now again, not everything in there originated with Solomon, but his uh, name is in the original Hebrew title. In the Greek translation of the Old Testament, which uh, was written in 285 B.C., so what's that, roughly 300 years before Christ, um, they called it Proverbs of Solomon. And then the title we have today in our English Bible comes from Jerome's translation of the Bible in Latin in the 4th century A.D., he was commissioned in 382 A.D. to write the Bible, to translate the Bible into Latin, and he named it the Book of Proverbs, and that's kind of what stuck. So when we talk about the Book of Proverbs, that's what we're talking about. The Hebrew word proverb is the Hebrew word mashal, and it means a comparison, a similitude, a parable, um, an aphorism, which is just a, a terse statement of moral principle or general truth. Um, so a proverb is essentially a concise statement of principle. That's probably the easiest definition, a concise statement of principle. We talked about the human authors in general, but let's, uh, let's kind of take a closer look at that. Uh, Proverbs claims to be a compendium of wise sayings of several different authors, some of them named, some of them anonymous. Uh, as I mentioned, Solomon originated some of them. Uh, I think probably including chapters 1 through 9, but certainly chapters 10 through part of chapter 22 and everything in between. Uh, we have sages, unnamed wise men, who wrote other parts. Uh, possibly they are the ones that wrote chapters 1 through 9, but I really don't think so. Especially, again, you know, there's great scholars out there who have studied this and looked at the biblical data, the internal data, the external data. But the simplest thing to me that comes down to the title I mean, the title of the book which God superintended over is the Proverbs of Solomon. It would be odd indeed for verse 1 to introduce Solomon, and then he doesn't come into play again until 10 chapters. Yeah. How old was Solomon when he wrote the Oh, that's a good question. I mean, time frame, you're dealing with 900s B.C., so 931. I think uh, I've got somewhere on here the date. We'll skip ahead to that just to put a historical date on the calendar. So um, his reign was 40 years, ending in 931. We, we know that answer. I just don't have it off the top of my head. I just we could, wondered if he wrote him when he was young and then he fell away from his own Proverbs because yeah. he got poisoned by his wife. <laughs> <laughs> wow. I can tell uh, you guys are going to have a conversation on the drive home, Ken. So if you want to pick up my card, you can call my number and schedule a counseling appointment we'll see if we can work this out uh no um yeah i feel ignorant i should know that off the top of my head the scripture certainly would give us an indication of his age but either way regardless of his age we can say that he fell away late in life you know or at the end of his life so um i'm going to try to go back here if i can yeah so um so we've got uh Solomon, unnamed wise men. We know that Hezekiah's men, King Hezekiah's men, copied some of Solomon's Proverbs and added them to this collection, chapters 25 to 29. And then the last two chapters were written by Agur and King Lemuel. Uh, so it's a, it's a compendium, you know. Uh, a compendium of articles is just a book that has multiple each chapter is written by a different person. So my book, Freely by His Grace, has 16 chapters in it, but it's actually written by 14 different people. I wrote two chapters, and I was the general editor, but we have other guys that wrote different chapters. That's called a compendium uh, of articles, and Proverbs follows that pattern. Um, uh, we pointed out earlier that in 1 Kings, uh, it attributes 3,000 Proverbs and more than 1,000 songs to Solomon. In fact, the writer of Kings boasted that Solomon's wisdom exceeded that of all the wise men in the East in Egypt. Um, and Solomon's interests and research covered nearly every aspect of knowledge, from zoology and botany to grammar to theology, a lot of theology obviously in the book of Proverbs. So to think of wisdom in Israel was to think of Solomon, who, as we read earlier, uh, was granted wisdom by God. 
So back to the date we go now, um, just to kind of put some stakes in the ground to give you a rough idea. You'll often hear me talk about Psalms and Proverbs, generally speaking, as a thousand years before Christ. That's clearly a generalization, uh, because in some cases uh, it could have been a couple hundred years you know, more recent than that. Um, but the earliest the book of Proverbs could have been written, and in its final form, was in Hezekiah's day. In other words, if we know that Hezekiah's men compiled some of it, it couldn't have been written a couple hundred years before Hezekiah, right, in its final form. So that gives us, you know, some idea. Uh, but it may have even reached that stage later than that. We really have no way to tell. Um, some of the contents of the book, I would say most of the contents of the book, were clearly in existence in Solomon's lifetime, even though they didn't get assembled into this book until a couple hundred years after his death. The theological message, and this is what I want to end with uh, tonight, Proverbs is a book that focuses on philosophy, but not philosophy in the world's sense of the term, but wisdom, which is the, the, verb, the, the word that's used in Proverbs. There's a fundamental difference between the Hebrew philosophy in Proverbs, philosophy meaning love of wisdom, right? Phileo, love, Sophia, wisdom, Philosophy is the love of wisdom. But there's a fundamental difference between the Hebrew philosophy in Proverbs and all other philosophy. Other philosophies begin with a question. You, know, you, you read some of the great philosophers, and it's all trying to figure things out. But Hebrew philosophy begins with a premise, an infallible premise, an affirmation. And that is that there is a God, you are not Him, God exists, and we can only know ultimate truth through God's divine revelation. One of my uh, favorite professors, in fact, I've had him come speak in my churches through the years and start, kind of stayed in touch with him, been in his home, uh, was uh, Tom Constable, Thomas Constable. And he said this, I had him for much of my Bible exposition 30 years ago, 32 years ago. And he said, Proverbs is one of the most timeless Old Testament books the reader needs very little knowledge of ancient Hebrew life and culture to understand and appreciate it. We can understand the contents fairly easily and can apply them directly to modern life. And that's why I, I, I love it. I mean, I all Scripture is profitable. We've got to teach and preach and study the whole counsel of God, absolutely. But the nuggets in Proverbs are just, you know, you don't need a, a lot of hermeneutic skills to, to read them and just live them out, right? So we'll stop there. When we pick up next week, I want to talk about this idea of the fear of the Lord because the, the theme, if you will, or the motto, I call it, in Proverbs 1.7 is found in Proverbs 1.7, which is the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. So we're going to talk more about what that means, what the fear of the Lord is, and, and so forth the next time. Any Closing questions or comments before we wrap up tonight? Yeah. An overall thought of Proverbs. If Solomon, through God's guidance, could author a proverb and 3,000 of them, right, and yet still fail, what chance do we have, right? Yeah. <laughs> you know, to make. Yeah, <laughs> the the comment is if if no less than Solomon could you know could fall, I'm going to put up this quote from Bruce Walkie, which I just think is so profound that we talked about earlier. Then what does that say for the rest of us? Well, yeah, I mean there are a lot of examples of that. I mean David, a man after God's own heart. Peter, one of the inner three disciples, yet denied the Lord. Right. So I think that's a um, cautionary tale to every believer about there but by the grace of God go I and stay in the word. This Sunday we're going to be in uh, a section from Acts chapter 8 and I'm calling it Old Habits Die Hard and we're going to talk about Simon the Sorcerer right? And, uh, and I'm going to just talk about some general principles as using Simon as an example of believers and yes Simon was a believer 
um, and talk about how some general principles about how even believers can cater to that old man, those old habits of the flesh. And we never arrive. You know, it's not like um, who wants to be a millionaire where you keep climbing the ladder and once you get to a certain level, you're going to get that much no matter what. You're never going to fall below it, right? That's not the way the spiritual life works. That's why it's so precious to stay in the Word of God and stay close to the Lord because you can live a whole life of continued growth and spiritual maturing and just love, you know, close, intimate abiding in Christ and, and, and throw it all away with one poor decision and boom, you're all the way back. And then it takes a long time to rebuild that credibility and reputation and all that. So, um, yeah, I mean, I'm glad you kind of brought us back to that because that's a great thing to remember. Spiritual successes today are no guarantee of piety and morality tomorrow. Disciples must attend constantly uh, to their spiritual lives. Right? All right, awesome. Well, y'all uh, have a great rest of the week, and we will see you on Sunday.